The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Hello, and welcome to The Exchange with Reuters Breaking Views. This episode is a recording of an interview conducted by Breaking Views for the International Economic Forum of the Americas. Welcome to the International Economic Forum of the Americas Conversation Series. I am Swaha Patanaik, Global Economics Editor of Reuters Breaking Views, the commentary division of Reuters News. With me today is Leila Fouri, the Group CEO of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Leila, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's, it's great to be here today. Lovely to chat to you. Thanks. Um, you were appointed Group CEO in October 2019. I guess it's fair to say it was a baptism of fire, given the pandemic broke out not very many months later, unfortunately. A health emergency quickly became an economic crisis that hit the whole world economy and unleashed massive market moves. How badly has COVID dented South Africa's market and economy and how lasting do you think the scars will be? Well, Swaha, um, in South Africa, we, we had a, a bit of a hat trick, unfortunately, and we were not only facing the pandemic, but we also faced into a downgrade from investment into sub-investment grade by the last remaining um, uh, uh, credit rating agency and subs uh, subsequent to that we were removed from the world government bond index so we were facing into three very material and um, economic threatening um, circumstances. While economically we responded very swiftly our monetary policy um, uh, response was aggressive and we cut interest rates uh, unprecedented six times to a cumulative 300 basis points. Um, our GDP was quite negatively affected. Um, we hit the lowest um, GDP growth figure in 40 years, which was minus 7%. And our unemployment also hit um, a, its highest rate of 32.5% in the fourth quarter of last year. Um, our, our gross debt um, was already high prior to uh, prior to the crisis. And um, coupled with the uh, downgrade to junk status, our currency um, uh, hit uh, an all-time, uh, a, fa a fairly strong low of 19.35 to the US dollar. Um, I think that on the ground, the government and the president responded swiftly and with great prescience and leadership. And we took a very strong stance to our, down, uh, to our um, lockdown in the initial stage. During uh, our very egregious second wave um, of a very aggressive mutation of the pandemic, we uh, we took a we took a, a strong uh, health stance, but also not constraining the economy. And so, I think relative to many of the our, our emerging market peers, um, Brazil, Mexico, Russia, I think South Africa has fared very well. Our death rate is also very low. Um, we've experienced, 
um, we've experienced a, a number of pandemics prior to this pandemic, such as HIV. We've managed through the Ebola crisis. And, and so our medical staff have um, great insight into managing and modeling the mutations and in managing uh, the problem on the ground. So relative to emerging markets, I think the economic impact aside, um, we did uh, pretty well. I mean, you mentioned some of the starting point uh, just before the pandemic not being so great and the series of different uh, dif difficulties, if you like, that South Africa had to encounter. But I mean, do you think in some ways it's got sort of come out in the wash because so many countries have faced so many problems, have built up so much debt um, that there's almost a sort of different investor eye being cast over emerging markets and debt levels. Do you think South Africa's perhaps emerged better as a result of it rather than being out on its own, if you like, uh, with no pandemic? Absolutely. So, so while South Africa did have a number of fractures in its economy pre-pandemic, uh, pre, uh, um, on a relative basis, the relative uh, relativity of the impact has equalized uh, the country relative to other emerging markets who were perhaps in a healthier position. And so we have sprung back. Um, South Africa is a very mercurially entrepreneurial society and very innovative. And um, we tend to thrive in a crisis. And I've seen just that. And I've seen the public-private sector um, co coalition of the willing um, at a level that I, I haven't seen before. And all of that is, is good for, for business. It's good for consumer sentiment. And it's good for um, business confidence. That's great to hear. I mean, the next question I wanted to ask you actually plays straight into that, which is one of the unfortunate consequences of COVID has been the renewed widening of the gap between the haves and have-nots, both at a global level and within countries. Um, so big economic rebounds are underway in some of the richest countries, and it sounds like South Africa's got uh, sort of potential momentum as well. Um, what do you think on, a, on that spectrum of very, very bad to very fast rebound, as in the US, where is South Africa on the spectrum? And what do you think are the prospects for reducing inequalities that may have developed in the country over COVID? Well, um, I think, unfortunately, um, uh, Zwaha, South Africa, along with all of the other emerging market countries, are, um, are prejudiced, particularly in the situation of access to vaccines. And so while many of the emerging markets uh, countries may have managed through the crisis very well, if we uh, look at the uh, access to vaccines, um, the developed world countries have access have accessed the 1.2 billion vaccines which have already been administered um, globally to date. Um, the developed world countries have, have, have administered 90% of those. Those developed world countries represent only 16% of the global population. So I do think that um, the risk of the pandemic is that it will widen the inequality gap. And the ability of emerging market countries to bounce back is very much dependent not only on stimulus programs, not only on their management through the crisis, but also on access to vaccines. And this is a vital equalizing factor. And it's a vital factor to ensure that the world uniformly um, gains momentum. And I, I am very pleased to see 
that uh, President Biden recently supported the call by the South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa, and the Indian president, uh, Prime Minister, to, um, uh, to, to grant access to uh, vaccine uh, manufacturing um, uh, universally. Um, so, so I do think the risk on access to vaccine is the first issue. Secondly, um, I think the problem in emerging markets, and South Africa is included in that, is that many of the economies are driven by um, uh, by manual labor, and many of the workers don't have access to either computers or to Wi-Fi, and that makes work from home very problematic. And, and so lockdowns have a much more severe uh, effect and a compounding effect on economic um, growth and bounce back. Absolutely. You mentioned the vaccine proposal, which President Biden has thrown his weight behind. I mean, on the other side are critics who argue that it is perhaps uh, the not the actual issues that are being raised here, but the ability to produce more vaccines, the inputs for the vaccines that are the problem, and in the long term that this might dissuade pharmaceutical companies from perhaps innovating as much. What would you say to those sort of detractors? Well, I would say that's an, an interesting argument. And in normal circumstances, yes, um, the um, medical companies need to be incentivized for, uh, to, to invest into research and innovation. But we're not in an ordinary situation. And right now, we are in a global crisis. And um, uh, an economist much smarter than me said that Previously, we were perhaps an, a, a, a ship liner with 180 rooms. And um, previously, we were actually 180 boats in a sea. We're now a ship, uh, a cruise liner with 180 countries or rooms. And it doesn't help if you um, vaccinate and cleanse the first-class cabins and not the others. And, and so the impact and the possibility of emerging market countries um, uh, suffering new egregious uh, mutations of the disease and thereby infecting those developed countries who have already uh, vaccinated their, their populations at great great cost is, is a real and genuine threat. And, and so I, I don't think the normal principles of innovation apply. Um, I think there's a humanitarian uh, impediment uh, or, or, or humanitarian principle at play. And I think that we're in unique circumstances. And um, I think the privilege obligates and the privileged first world countries are obligated to ensure that we tackle this as a unified global whole, not as islands which are distinguished by, um, by the haves and the have-nots. Thank you. Um, let me turn to perhaps a slightly more optimistic note, um, which is the pandemic has been a stress test like absolutely any other. No other you know, event has stressed us. Even the global financial crisis probably wasn't as bad for the entire business world. Which are the most resilient and rising sectors in the South African market and perhaps more widely in the African market that you see emerging from this crisis? 
Uh, well, Swaha, I, I think that the the Johannesburg Stock Exchange fared particularly well during the crisis, and we actually ended the year 2% up on market cap. And the reason for that was our strong tech sector, as well as our strong resources sector. So the resources rally that we've seen and the potential for this to become a super cycle will certainly play into both South Africa and into the African markets. Our commodities market, soft commodities, corn, wheat, maize, um, are, are, are up in excess of 15%. And that is boded really well. I think in terms of potential longer term, medium to long term um, rising sectors, there is pent up demand in the hospitality, tourism and retail sectors. Those were hard hit by the pandemic and they were further negatively affected in South Africa by the alcohol ban. And um, so we expect that um, there as, as restrictions have eased, that this will translate into um, an expansion. Um, there were uh, there was a very negative effect on property in the property sector and particularly into in the commercial space. Um, some retailers that were already struggling pre-COVID cut down on rental space. Many companies, um, some of whom closed permanently, while others introduced uh, sort of work from home and therefore downscaled and reduced their space. This has had a negative effect on property, and it will be interesting to see how this um, how this translates into a new world. Construction um, is is also a, a potential growth area. Um, post the crisis, um, and this is very much in line with government's uh, plan to fast track 50 key infrastructure projects worth 340 billion rand uh, in investment, and this is crucial for the growth um, of the country. Uh, renewable energy is also an enormously um, interesting area of focus for the country, and um, we are shifting towards more low carbon emissions and cleaner forms of energy. Um, our energy, uh, our central um, uh, government-owned uh, energy company, which produces electricity, um, require, relies uh, for its uh, energy production on more than 80% um, coal-generated uh, um, plants. So there is a strong incentive and strong potential um, and strong energy-related financial instruments that are on the market, um, including green bonds, uh, project bonds, um, as well as um, uh, uh, sustainable bonds. Great. You mentioned some of the, the, the benefits that the resource sector has reaped from rising commodity prices of all sorts of commodities. Um, I mean, one of the things that's um, puzzling everybody around the invest, investment community is whether we're going to see a sustained rise in inflation. Sitting where you are, both in the country and the stock exchange overview that you have, what, what's your view on the outlook for resources prices, commodities in the large, and whether you think this will carry on going or whether, as central banks seem to think, this is a one-year phenomenon and things will then plateau or stabilise? Look, I, I think it's, it is very much for South Africa certainly tied to the China economic trajectory and the rate at which they sustain their pent-up demand. That certainly drives a, a large part of, of the country, um, the country's production. 
Um, what we've seen over the past year is a particular growth in the PGMs or the platinum group of metals and South Africa is the largest supplier of PGMs globally. Um, the, PG, the demand for PGMs is driven by fundamentals and the largest driver is the electrification in the global automation uh, automotive uh, industry. And so economies such as the EU and China um, who have tightened regulations around carbon emissions um, will also drive that need for electric vehicles. Um, more, more recently, President Biden has announced the infrastructure stimulus package, and that will focus on renewable energy and a greener economy. Rhodium, uh, palladium, and platinum are also used in catalytic converters for electric vehicles. So um, some South African mines, including Anglo-American Platinum, Sabanya and Northam, are already ramping up uh, supply to meet this increased demand. That's great. Um, we've already talked uh, in, as you've mentioned other issues about green, ESG uh, as focused um, issues that investors care about. Let me ask you specifically about that. As you mentioned, the resource industry is very important to the stock exchange and to the South African economy. What sort of additional burdens, say for the transition period to a greener you know, uh, focus, does that place on South Africa's economy as investors are becoming much more demanding about having this ESG box checked properly? Mm. This is a this is a growing and, and very important uh, part of our, our economy and environmentally themed financial products are slowly and surely gaining momentum in South Africa uh, in tandem with the rest of the world. Um, on ESG investments, South Africa does tend to lag Europe and the USA, but we do lead in Africa. Um, now, um, uh, insofar as the um, effect goes, um, many of our miners are looking at, for example, hydrogen plants, um, hydrogen electrification. I think possibly the biggest area of impact to the economy would be our electricity provider, because we have a monopoly in that industry and, and more than 80% of the electricity is, um, is, is coal-based. Um, the impetus and the importance of driving a renewable future is really critical to avoid stranded assets and to, to avoid the dislocation and therefore unemployment that come, might come from what we would say um, a non-green um, energy producing industry such as the mining and, and our, our electricity um, state-owned entity. Um, the JSC has introduced a number of products such as green bonds, sustainable bonds, etc. What we are also about to introduce is um, a, a, a bond that would allow for the transition um, from old technologies to new technologies. So it's called a transition bond, and it would allow companies like our miners, companies like um, the electricity provider to present, uh, to, to raise finance um, under a transition bond structure. 
And so it's it's really vital to contemplate the broader macroeconomic effects and the effects on the man on the street when moving to more renewable and more sustainable energy sources. So it's something that has to be planned long in advance, and that plan has to be systematically managed to avoid that problem and the risk of um, stranded assets. Great, thank you. Um, You've mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation about the South African government's plan for infrastructure spending uh, and, you know, likened also to uh, President Biden's plans for infrastructure spending. I mean, the pendulum in advanced countries has definitely swung decisively towards more government, big government and fiscal spending. In some emerging markets, uh, governments were already playing a large role in the economy. What do you think lies ahead for South Africa? Do you expect more privatizations? Or given the global mood music, do you think there'll be less inclination to shift away from government involvement, given a lot of advanced countries are going down that route? Well, I I think insofar as uh, the sort of stimulus and and involvement in the economy, the government did in in South Africa did inject an unprecedented 500 billion rands worth of stimulus into the economy. And it was derived from a variety of sources, including um, large borrowings um, from international lenders. Um, The national debt levels have already reached record levels, um, even before the crisis. Our gross debt increased from from 65% to 83% of GDP over the past year. And that was largely driven by pandemic-related expenses. So um, I do think that we are in a conundrum in the sense as as are all emerging market economies. And the difference between, I think, the emerging markets and the developed world is that in both quantum and as a percentage of GDP, um, developed world countries have the ability to stimulate and invest enormously and then can quite frankly just inflate their way out of that debt. Um, Emerging market countries, um, unfortunately, um, their debt servicing costs are order of magnitude higher than developed worlds, and the percentage of stimulus required as a percentage of their very meagre GDP is is also puts them into a very precarious position. South Africa um, has managed its debt crisis over the past six months particularly well, and have put uh, and have put a couple of initiatives in place to manage that. We are, of course, aided by the enormous surge in uh, resources, which has increased. Tax, um, uh, tax earnings by the National Treasury. Um, and um, there are a number of, of initiatives such as constraining the public sector wage bill to, to try to rein in those costs. But um, emer- emerging market economies um, are definitely in a, at, a, at a profound disadvantage um, when you take account of the cost to service that debt. Um, as well as the uh, potential to stimulate economic growth. Perfect. We're nearly out of time, unfortunately, but let me pull back to a slightly more personal note. As I mentioned at the outset, Leila, you became CEO a few months before COVID was declared a pandemic. What were the challenges you faced? They must have been very different from the ones you were expecting to face. 
And how does a CEO carve out a vision for a company, for its stakeholders, when the outlook for the whole economy, for society at very sort of granular level is so uncertain in so many ways? Swaha, indeed, um, it was uh, as unexpected for me as it was for everybody else. I, I, the fact that I'd moved countries and taken up a new job <clears throat> was just uh, really by the by. Um, it was, it was a, indeed a great privilege to lead through the crisis, and we had to navigate many, many new problems. Um, firstly, running an exchange um, uh, during a, a highly, the most volatile period in living history um, from home um, proposed for an enormous challenge for our IT division um, and, and pragmatically uh, looking after the mental health and levels of motivation of staff on the ground was obviously our first and foremost um, most important priority. Um, stepping back and taking a wider lens in the economy, um, we were required to play a leading role in both uh, managing and engaging collaboratively with our listed entities and the uh, public sector to ensure that um, we were um, responsible and working together in a coalition to kickstart the economy, we worked together with a number of um, universal sort of business uh, bodies um, to, to define our uh, Build Back Better program, uh, to define uh, policy and economic uh, approaches to rebuild the economy. And we engaged extensively um, across the sector with medical health professionals, with our um, uh, with our government and with other uh, listed entities, so it was a very exciting time. Um, not a time that I had much sleep. Um, there were, of course, many regulatory changes that we had to introduce. Our regulations are not designed for um, a situation of this level of extremity, changing listings requirements, giving listed entities um, uh, breathing room and um, ability to delay their annual financial statements, even though we were facing into such uncertainty generally. Um, those sorts of, of issues required a measure of uh, creativity and, and a degree of, um, of open-mindedness. Um, and it, it, it is more of a right brain process than a left brain process. Um, but I think coming back to what the most important thing for us was, it was to keep our people safe, to ensure that the mental health of our staff and levels of motivation were at an all-time high. And indeed, they did creep up to the highest levels we, we've seen. Um, and, and to ensure that um, we were able to be responsive to our market and to ensure that um, we demonstrated resilience in a, a time of, of great uncertainty. Um, those were the really important things. And, and I'm sure when I look back in years from now, those will stand out as, as the most critical elements and, and as the most important lessons for me in leadership. Thank you, Leila. Very uh, interesting to get your thoughts on such a difficult period and how you navigated it. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to all of you for tuning in to this edition of the IEFA's Conversation Series. Thank you, Swaha. Thanks to all of you for tuning into this episode of The Exchange, which was produced by Freddie Joyner. 
If you enjoyed it, check out our website, breakingviews.com, where we have more podcasts as well as videos and commentary on business, finance and economics.